beginning here with the two dots on the bottom of Bet Amud Bet, just to review, the Mishnah set up for us that there are eight situations in which there's an interaction between the Ani and the Balabayit that are being referenced to in the Mishnah. There is Steinbifnim, there's two that deal with the person inside, which is the Balabayit. With regards to the Balabayit, there are two instances where he's going to be Chayab de Uraita, and that's a case where he takes the object from inside, places it into the hands of the Ani, who is outside. That's a case of Hotza'an, he's going to be Chayab mi de Uraita. In that case, the Ani on the other side is going to be Patur, and not only Patur, but Mutar, because he didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't a part of the situation at all. We'll discuss that in a minute. Then, there's another possibility, which is that the Balabayit takes something out of the hands of the Ani and brings it into himself inside. That's Haknasa. And once again there, the Ani is Mutar, and the Balabayit bringing in is Chayav mi Uraita. That leads to Arba, there are two other cases where the Balabayit Bifnim, who's standing inside, will not be Chayav Midoraita, but he'll still be Asur Midrabanan. And that's in the situation in which, at least according to Rashi, who thinks that the Akira is the determining factors of whether it's called Bifnim or Bechutz, we'll see different opinions later in today's daf. The Ani stands his hands inwards, and then the Balabayit places it into the hands of the Ani, and then the Ani retracts his hands out. In that case, the Balabayit is doing the Akira, and then the Ani pulling it out is doing the Hanach. So again there, the Balabayit is only doing one half of the Malacha, the Akira, and not the Hanacha. And similarly, in a situation in which, for the Bifnim, the Balabayit inside, if he takes the object from inside, does an Akira from the Rishut HaYachid, and places it outside, and then the Ani takes it out of his hand when it's in the Rishut Rabim, then he did the Akira, and the Ani did the Hanacha. In that case, they're both Patur of Alasur, they're both restricted from doing that. So that's as far as the Balabayit is concerned, that's Bifnim. Bachutz, we had a similar scenario, which is Shtaim, two instances where the Ani Bachutz is going to be Chayab mi Uraita, which is a case where the Ani took the object from outside, places it into the hands of the Balabayit internally, that's Hachnasa, where he's going to be Chayab, because he did both the Akira and the Hanacha. And then similarly, if the Baalbite has an object with him internally and the Ani reaches in, takes it out of the hands of the Baalbite and brings it out to the Rishut Rabim, once again there he did the Akiran Hanachan, he's going to be Chayav for Hotza'ah. Both those instances, it's Mutar for the Baalbite because he did nothing. He didn't do an Akira, he didn't do an Hanacha at all. So therefore you have Shaim Lechiyuv for the one who's Bechutz for the Ani. That leads to Arba. Arba is a situation in which the Ani is involved only partially in the circumstance where he did the Akira, for instance, where the Ani picks it up from the Rishut Rabim, places it internally with the Balabite, but doesn't release it, and the Balabite takes it out of his hand. In that case, the Ani is doing Akira, but no Hanacha. Or in a situation in which the Balabite extends his hands outward, and then the Ani places it into the hands of the Balabite, so the Ani is doing the Akira, and then the Balabite retracts his hands inwards, and he does the Hanacha. But again there, the Ani is doing the Akira, Bachutz, and therefore it's an Iser Dirabanan on both of them because they're each doing a part of the Melacha, one doing the Akira, one doing the Anacha, and it's called Bachutz because in both those instances the Ani did the Akira. The one instance where he himself was okeret and then put it inside for the Balabayit to take. And the other instance where the Balabayit stuck his hands out empty and the Ani placed it into his hands in the Rishut Rabim. Both those cases the Ani is doing the Akira and therefore Rashi counts those as the Shtayim Bachut. So now the Gemara is going to ask about that, that you set up 
four situations, four cases for the Balabite and four cases for the Ani. In each of those instances, there are two parties. If there are two parties in each of those instances, there's really two halachot that apply in every instance. There is one halacha for the ani and one halacha for the balabait. Sometimes the ani is chayav and the balabait is mutar. Sometimes it's patur vasur for the ani and same thing for the balabait. So it turns out, truthfully, when you have eight cases in the Mishnah, you really have 16 outcomes or halachot that are applicable because there are eight cases, but each case involves two individuals, and therefore there are really 16 piske halacha associated with the Mishnah. And that's the nature of the Gemara's question over here, which is, Are there really eight cases in the Mishnah? Tarte sare havyan. There really are 12. So Abai responds back to Rav Matna, According to your reasoning, that now you're expanding the cases to include situations that include the Psakalocha relevant to both the Balabite and the Ani, then Shitzrei Havin. There really are 16 cases in the Mishnah because you have eight situations. In each situation, there are two parties involved. So you have 16 outcomes for each of the eight cases. And so therefore, why are you asking me why are there eight and not 12? You should ask me why are there eight and not 16. Amalei, so Rav Matna says about that, Halokasha, that doesn't bother me because Bishlama Bava Deresha, in the Resha part, where you have both Shtaim Bifnim and Shtaim Bachutz, where you're Chayav, there one party is Chayav Achatat, the other party is Mutar the Gamre. He has no culpability whatsoever. And that's what it means. Patur Umutar Loktani. When the Mishnah is enumerating the number of cases or situations, it's only speaking about situations where there's a problem for the individual. So in 12 out of the 16 outcomes, there's a problem. Four of the outcomes, one of the parties has no problem at all. It's mutar the gamre. That's in a case where the ani is chayav achatat, then the balabite is mutar. Or vice versa, where the balabite is chayav achatat, the ani is mutar. So leaving out those four cases where they are mutar, I drop down from 16 outcomes to 12 outcomes. El babava de seifa, in the latter part of the Mishnah, where you have shtayim that become arba, in those cases, there are always two parties involved, and both of them are patur avalasur, both the balabite and the ani. So then, why is it that you have enumerated over here eight in the Mishnah, rather than have it be twelve outcomes that are enumerated in the Mishnah? Gemara now digresses to another topic, then they'll come back to answer this question, which is the assumption in the Mishnah is that there are sixteen outcomes, and four of those outcomes are mutar. Yet the Mishnah never says in anywhere there that there is a mutar, there's just a patur. So even when the ani or the balabait is chayav, the other party the Mishnah says is patur. And that's what the Gemara asks here, which is, Kasha, mi ika bikule shabbat patur umutar. Anytime the Mishnah says in Shabbat patur, doesn't mean that it's mutar the gamre. Patur means patur avalasur. Means patur midoraita. You don't have to bring a korban chatad if you did it but There's still an Easter derabonon that's associated with it. And our Mishnah uses lashon of patur for all the instances where the party is not chayav, calls it patur. So we have 16 outcomes there because you have four that are the chiyuf, and then you have 12 that are patur. And you're telling me now that you want to eliminate four of them because they're really mutar. The Mishnah doesn't say mutar. The Mishnah says patur. Vamar Shmuel, and Shmuel already told us, kol pturei de Shabbat. Anytime you find in the Mishnah in Shabbat the word patur, patur of alasur. In those cases, whenever it says patur, it means patur midoraito, avalasur midrabanan. Baharmiyan etalat. There are three exceptions to that rule. Tosavot limits this to Mishnayot that deal with hochot Shabbat and not in necessarily Shmaitata or Braitot that are found in the Gemara. And those three exceptions are found later on in the Masefta and Perako Oreg on Daf Kubzayin. Even though these items in the Mishnah says are patur, nevertheless they are mutar. The first is Seydad Tzvi. 
which is found in the Mishnah on the bottom of Kufvav Amud Bet. There the Mishnah says, if an individual sits down in a doorway, and by doing that he traps a deer in the house, and then another person comes and sits in front of that individual, he didn't add anything, he didn't change the circumstance of the situation, and then the first individual had originally blocked the doorway, then gets up and leaves, so at this point the second individual is causing the deer to remain in captivity because he sat down, when the first one was still there, but now that the first one left, he's the one creating that captivity. So over there, the Mishnah says he is patur, and Shmuel says that patur means mutar, because the second individual didn't do anything. He didn't do anything when he sat down, because it was already blocked by the first individual who was sitting in the doorway. And so when he sat down, he did nothing. And when the other individual gets up, and he's already seated there, he's passive. He's not doing any maisa at that point in time. He's passively just retaining or maintaining the status quo. And because of that, it's totally mutar, and there's no isser involved. The Gemara compares it to someone who closes the door to their house, and it happens to trap eights V inside because you didn't do anything that was unusual or out of the ordinary. You were just acting in your normal course of business, and therefore you closed the door to your house like you would do any other time. Happens to be there was a deer inside. That's not called trapping. And similarly over here, when the individual sat down and the door was already blocked by the other individual, he wasn't trapping because he wasn't doing anything that caused trapping or changed the circumstance or status quo. That Gemara over there, when we get there, we'll discuss, but there's a Shilti Giborim on that Gemara that has major ramifications for issues of Groma or unintended Groma on Shabbat, which then has impact in terms of CCT, cameras, motion sensors that are triggered on Shabbat. Does that Mishnah or does that case speak to this issue? And that's a major machloket in the modern day post scheme as to how to read, based on the Rishonim's understanding of that Mishnah, what is the Sakalocha with regards to these other items. That's one. The second one and the third one are found in Mishnayot in Ediot, which is Tzedat Nachash, if you trap a snake. Now, trapping a snake on Shabbat, if you want the snake or you want something from the snake, that's Seda and that's problematic. Then if you're trapping the snake because you don't want it to injure you, you don't want it to hurt you, then that's called a Malacha She'en Tzricha Gufa. You're doing the Malacha of trapping, but it's not for the intent of trapping. Trapping is to use or utilize the item that you're trapping. Over here, you have no interest in the snake. The only reason you want to trap the snake is to prevent it from doing damage or from hurting you. And because of that, it's called a malacha, shein tzrichadu gufa. You're doing the malacha, the action that is restricted, but your purpose of that action, or the intent of that action, is not for the purpose that it was in the Mishkan, which is to trap for usage. It's to trap for protection or prevention. In that case, it's a malacha, shein tzrichadu gufa. And Tosavot says it's in a case where there's no sakanat nefashot, there's no life-threatening issue, because if it was a life-threatening issue, then all bets are off. Anything can be done for Bikuach Nefesh, and then you don't even have to discuss about whether it's mutar. Of course it's mutar. So Tosavot says it's a case where it's not life-threatening. Nevertheless, it's bothering you or it's causing you issues, and therefore we allow you to trap it to prevent that tsar on Shabbat. And the reason is because it's already a melacha, she'en tzricha gufa, and we paskin, according to Tosafot, like Rabbi Shimon's view that Malacha Shein Srichad Gufa is only Osurmi de Rabbanan, not Mido Uraita. And then given the fact that there's Tsar here, we're Matir and say that it's Mutar de Gamre. Then the third case is a case of a Mapis Mursa, which is someone who has some sort of pus that is trapped in their skin, and they want to release the pus from their skin because either it's causing them some sort of difficulty or Tsar that we permit you to do that on Shabbat. And even though the Mishnah says in Ediot that that's patur, Shmuel says again that patur means mutar. Now the problem, as the Bali Tosavot note over here, is the issue that if you open it up, you're creating a petach. You're creating an opening on Shabbat. 
And creating an opening on Shabbat is problematic. Now, an opening, as the Balitos will point out, is an opening that allows for egress and for access, which means that both the pus now is being removed from whatever you popped over here, and the air is coming in that allows it then to stay open, cure itself, or relieve itself. And so therefore, you're trying to open up a petach, and if it was a petach, then it would be problematic. But the Tosfot says over here, it's a malacha she'ain't tzricha de gufa. Because normally when you open up a petach, you open it up for it to have bidirectional usage. Over here, you're not interested in the bidirectional usage. You're only interested in the removal of the pus. So you've opened it for egress, not for access. And so because of that, it becomes a malachash, ain't srichadu gufa. Once again here, Chazal, b'makom tsar, said that we allow you to do that even though it is a suramid rabbanan. Although Rashi and Dav Kuvzayin explains it slightly differently and says that opening up a petach is a tikkun. And why does it matter if I do a tikkun in a kli or if I do a tikkun to a injury or a wound? And therefore, opening up a port is the way that Rashi describes it would be problematic on Shabbat because that's the equivalent of opening up a petach. But over here, by the Bapis Mursa, you're only interested in the removal of the pus. You don't care if the port stays open afterwards. Since you don't care that the petach stays open afterwards, then it's not considered to be a petach. So Rashi says the reason it's mutar over here is because of the fact that you never create a petach. Your whole intent is to simply drain that which is there, not to keep it open afterwards. Since you're not keeping it open afterwards, there's no petach. Since there's no petach, it is mutar because you don't care or you have no interest in it staying open. You wouldn't mind if it closed up immediately after the pus was released from it. So since you didn't create a port, that's why it is mutar according to Rashi. And the Rabbanan didn't institute anything to stop you doing that because of the Tsar in this situation. And then Tosafot over here, and later on in says that the issue is that it's a melacha, she'en tzricha gufa. That is because you're only interested in opening it up to allow for the egress, for the pus to leave, not for the air to go in. And because of that, even though you do a melacha that creates a petach, but the intent of that petach is different than you would in a normal petach, that becomes a melacha, she'en tzricha gufa. And B'makum Tsar, they were not Gozer. So we have those three instances where Shmuel says, the Mishnah says Patur, and it means Mutar. But that means that in our Mishnah, when it says Patur, it means Patur of Alasur, there's no Mutar in our Mishnah. So how are you telling me that there are four cases of Mutar in our Mishnah, which would take it down from 16 outcomes to 12 outcomes? How do you have cases of Mutar in our Mishnah? The word Mutar never appears, only Patur appears. And Shmuel limited that to three cases in the Mishnah, and our case in the Mishnah then is not included. The cases where Shmuel needed to explain to you that a patur really means mutar is in a case where you're actively doing something on Shabbat. Since you're actively engaged, we need to tell you that that patur doesn't really mean patur valasur, but patur in mutar. As opposed to the cases in our Mishnah, which is Ture Blokabin Masse, Ikatuva, that there are plenty of those cases where it's Patur and there's no Mice involved where it is Mutar. The person who's involved in the cases in our Mishnah is totally passive. The Balabite is standing there with the loaf of bread in his hand. The Ani comes in, takes it out of his hand, and takes it out. The Balabite was completely passive in the whole Malacha. The Akira and the Anacha were done by the Ani, and that's why he's Chayavachatat. And the Balabite is Patur, but Patur here means Mutar. Because over here, you don't have to need to tell me that it is mutar, because he didn't do anything. He didn't have any participation whatsoever in an active manner. And since he's passive, and it is pator, that is a case where it means pator and mutar, and then you don't need Shmuel to come and tell you that it means pator or mutar. So that's how we solve that little side issue. But it does bring up a much bigger issue, which is raised by the Bayat Tosafot over here, which is, why is it mutar? 
Don't we have a principle of Lifneiver Lotite Michshol? When it may not cause another person to violate an Avera. And over here, you become a facilitating factor for the person to violate this Avera. So the Gemara in Abodazara tells us that Lifneiver only applies when it's Trey Evre Denara. It's when you're on two sides of the river. Meaning there's a Nazir on one side of the river and there's a cup of wine on the other side of the river. The Nazir can't get access to that wine. And you then pass the wine to him to facilitate his ability to drink the wine and violate his Neder Nizirut. In that case, you're in violation of Neiver because you facilitated something that he couldn't have done by himself. But if it's Chadavre Denara, if it's on the same side of the river, over there, there is no din of Lifnei Iver because he could have gotten it without you. Since he could have gotten it without you, the fact that you facilitate it hasn't really done anything to make it easier for him to violate any sort. Given that, there won't be any din of Lifnei Iver, Lotitein Mikshol. Nevertheless, the Balitosafot say over here, even if you say there's no violation, Midoraita, of Lifnei Iver, Lotitein Mikshol, nevertheless, Mikomakom, Easter Drabonon, Mihaika. There should at least be an Iser Drabanan over here. The right Balitos would say it is because Lafishomi Isur, you should stop him from doing any Isur. It seems to be a little bit conflating terms because when it comes to Lafishomi Isur, is that you have an obligation to separate him away from Isur. Over here, the discussion is Lifnei Iver is facilitating. And it's what otherwise is called, and the Rosh actually frames it this way, which is it's Misayeya Lovrei Avera. Someone who's helping someone do an Avera. If you are obligated to stop someone from doing something wrong when you're not involved at all, then certainly you can't be a facilitating factor in the person doing an Avera. Even though they could have done it without you, but if you're aiding and abetting them, you should be Chayav, and that's called Misayeya, the Ovrei Avera. And Toswit says you should be at least restricted from participating in this, and how can the Mishnah say Mutar? So Tosavot goes down the path to suggest that the Ani or the party on the outside over here, is not a Jew. Because he's not a Jew, that's why it's mutar. Mutar means there's no halachic ramification for that party, because the opposing party is not someone who is Jewish. Tosavut says that seems to be problematic, because later on in the parak we're going to see that even in situations where non-Jews are involved, if there's direct interaction between you and the other party, then that is a problem of marat ayin that it looks like the Nahri is working for you on Shabbat or doing something for you on Shabbat. You're placing it into his hands and he's taking it out. That would be problematic. And therefore, Tosavot says, you have to suggest here that it's a case where it's both a Nahri and the Chayfetz, the object, belongs to the Nahri. And since it's both a Nahri doing it and it belongs to him, then that's why it's Mutar for the other party. So there's no Isur on you to aid in a bit here because it's a Nahri doing it and it's a Nahri's object. Where had it been any Jew that was taking that object out, it would have been problematic. So he would be Chayav Chatad, but you as the person who's aiding and abetting, it's not Chayav because we're talking about a Nahri. The answer to the Bali Tosavot is difficult on many levels. First of all, why is the Mishnah talking about it, speaking about a Nahri and saying you, if it was a Jew, you'd be Chayav, but now that's a Nahri, the other party is Mutar. Seems to be a crazy mix of cases to do that. That's number one. Number two is the Rosh suggests over here that that doesn't really solve the problem. Just because the object belongs to the Nakhri and the Nakhri is involved doesn't mean that then you can do it without having a problem with Martayin. People standing on the outside have no idea whose object it is. And so why does it matter when you're giving something to the Nakhri, whether it's his object or your object, from someone standing objectively away from there, it looks all the same, which is that it looks like it's problematic and that he's helping you out. And therefore, the Rosh, and you can see this in the Tosvot Yushanim, on the side of the Tosvot over here, gave a different answer. The, the Tosvot Yushanim, and it's quoted in the Rosh, 
similarly as being the answer of the toast vote, is that over here, Mikom Makom, Easter Shabbat Patur Mutar. Enochanami, there is a problem with Misayel over Avera Midra Banan, but that Easter is not an Easter of Shabbat, it's only an Easter of, or derivative of, Lifneiver, Lotitain Mikshol. And therefore the Mishnah counts that Mutar, because the Mishnah is only enumerating Easterim involved with the violation of Shabbat, whether those are Easterim Deraito or Derabanan, that's what it's enumerating. So as far as Shabbat is concerned, over here, the Misayelo, Vreya is an Easter of aiding and abetting someone to do something wrong, which is a derivative of Lifnei Ver, and it has nothing to do with Shabbat, and that's why the Mishnah calls it Mutar, even though technically the person involved is violating an Easter of the Rabbanan, of Misayea, the Ovrei Avera. Now this is a debate that takes place within the world of Lifnei Ver, the Lotite Mikshol, which we discussed in the Gemara of Zara, the Gemara in Sanhedrin as well, with regards to whether Lifnei Ver, Lotite Mikshol, is really a general din that says you can't aid and abet you can't cause someone to violate an Easter Minat Torah. Or is Lifnei Ver really a sniff or an extension of every Avera in the Torah? Which says that if you have to keep Shabbat, not only Machoda Shabbat can't be done by him, and they can't be done by you facilitating his ability to do them, because otherwise you would violate that Easter of the Shabbat. So this has a big nafkamino with regards to many halachot, including whether there is a din of Yehareg Valyavor with regards to Lifnei Ver. And the Ramban and the Ran over there discuss in the Gemara and Sanhedrin at the end of the Perak Ben Sorero Morer, if you're involved with Dinim of Avodah Zarah, Bizarayot Avodah Zarah, or you're dealing with murder in Lifnei Ver in those situations, will you be considered to be violating the actual crime? And therefore there'll be a din of Yereg Valyavor, or is it general din of Lifnei Ver, which is a separate Isur, and then you won't be in violation of those crimes. Over here in Ardaf, Rabbi Kivayger brings another nafkamino. A mumar the Shabbat is considered to be a mumar the Chola Torah Kula. That's also, according to many Rishonim, when it is a mumar in Dine Drabonon. So over here too, it would be the same nafkamino. If you think that the aiding and abetting of a party violating the Din of Shabbat is like a violation of Shabbat for you as well, then you'll be a mumar the Shabbat, which would then make you a mumar the Chola Torah Kula, and then you would lose your Nemanut. On the other hand, if it is a separate Avera of Misael over Avera, which is independent of Shabbat, like the Tosavot Yishanim and the Rosh want to suggest over here, then in that instance, your violation is not a violation of Shabbat. And so you're not going to be a Mumar for Shabbat, and therefore you won't be a Mumar L'Cholotorah Kula. And that will be enough Kamino over here as to how you view this Misael, the Ovre Avera. And another Nafkamino with regards to this is whether, like the Tosafot speaks about at the end of Mesechet Makot and the beginning of Mesechet Shavuot, what happens if you have an individual who is not Chayav in a particular mitzvah that's aiding and abetting someone who is Chayav in that mitzvah? So for instance, shaving off one's beard or shaving one's peyot, when there's a woman who's involved in doing that, if the woman is doing it, if there's a problem with Lifnei Ver, Lotiten Michshol, and that's an independent Isur, it might be problematic for her because she's aiding and abetting someone to do something wrong, and that's what Lifnei Ver restricts to you. On the other hand, if you believe that it's an extension of the particular Avera, women are not chayavot in Lotakifu Pat Roshchem, as well as the cutting of your beard, and therefore they would not be subject to this din. So anyway, there are two important takeaways from this Tosafot. Number one is that there is a din of Misayel over Avera. There is an Isur Durabanan, even when you're not in violation of Lifnei Iver Midoraita, if you're aiding and abetting someone doing something wrong, that is a problem. And number two is the Tosafot Yishanim and the Rosh over here believe that that violation is a separate violation not a violation of Shabbat, and that has not come here, as we saw, as to how you view 
the broader understanding of the friction of the Ifnayiverim and Sayyidu Vayvira, are they independent Isurim, or are they part and parcel of the individual Isur that you're aiding and abetting the person to violate? But nevertheless, now going back to the Gemara, the Gemara says, we solve a problem. Mikol Makom, Tarte Sari Nevertheless, there's still 12. You solved four of the problems. So now you have 12 instead of 16. Why aren't there 12 outcomes in the Mishnah rather than 8 outcomes in the Mishnah? It says, The Mishnah only enumerates things that can lead to a chatat. So Rashi claims over here that the Mishnah only enumerated cases where there's akira, and a person did the akira, didn't finish the malacha, and there was hanacha done by another party. So in that case, even though both parties do half of the malacha, one party is doing the akira and the other one is doing the hanacha, and they're both a surimi the Rabbanan, the Mishnah only enumerated the individual who did the akira, because that akira, if he finished it off and did the hanacha, could have led to a chiyuv chatat. Whereas the person who did anacha alone can never end up with a chiyuv chatat because the akira was already done by someone else. His anacha is just half a malacha, but it's half a malacha that can never result in a total malacha. And so because of that, it doesn't enumerate those outcomes in the Mishnah, even though, truthfully, they're problematic, they're patur of asur. Nevertheless, the Mishnah only dealt with the patur of asur in situations where you could lead to an isur, a violation, de oraita. That's the way Rashi explains it. The Bali Atosavot don't like that explanation for a number of reasons. In one, the Rechada da Kirablo Enoela Tiltobama. Someone who picks something out but doesn't move it from Rishut to Rishut, that's just carrying Tilto. You're allowed to do that. It's moving something around in your possession or in your property. And that's not restricted. It's only when you pass it past the point of the Rishuyot from Rishut to Yechit to Rishut to Rishut or vice versa, then it becomes problematic, Midr Rabbanan. Number two is, according to Rashi, in the case of the Balabayit, you're going to have three circumstances of taking it from Rishuta Yachid to Rishuta Rabim, and one instance of bringing it in from Rishuta Rabim to Rishuta Yachid, and vice versa for the Ani, it's going to be three instances of Hachnasa, taking it from the Rishuta Rabim into the Rishuta Yachid, and only one instance of taking it out. And that's imbalanced. You want to keep a balance in the Mishnah, where there's a Hotza and Hachnasa, that you're in the Shtayim, and then Hotza and Hachnasa, in the Arba, the other two that you add on. And that doesn't work in the way that Rashi is explaining it. On the other hand, Rashi brings from his Rabbutenu, Umrim, they say that, that is the one who's Pshitut Yad Lifnim, the Gabesh Whoever sticks their hand out, Ben Ben Rekanit, whether it's going empty or it's going full, Tchilata Maseh. They initiated the Maseh, and that's the person that we're enumerating in the Mishnah, because there are two times that the Ani does something like that. He does it by putting his hand in empty and then the Balbai putting it into his hand. Or he does it by putting his hand in full and the Balbai taking it out. So there are two of those cases by the Ani where he's the initiator of the problem. Or the case of the Balabai, again, whether he puts his hand out empty or he puts his hand out full, in those cases he did half the Malacha. Now, in those cases, one of them he did the Akira and the other one he was the Hanacha. Nevertheless, since he initiated the Maisa, his initiation could continue to then become a violation. And whoever's the initiator is what the Gemara spoke about. So it's not necessarily about whether you can complete the Akira to make it Hanacha. Rather, the Abutainu Shorashi think that it has to do with who is the initiator of the Maisa. Whoever is that initiator, that's the outcome that the Mishnah discussed. And therefore, there are only eight cases of initiation in the Mishnah, not 12 cases, because the four cases are the party who is the other half of that which was initiated by one party. And those cases we don't enumerate in the Mishnah. Now, the Ramban rejects this view of the Vitenu Shorashi because he says this individual doesn't do any Akira that can be completed into a Malachar, a Chiyuv Just because he initiated the movement of his hand to the other area, 
doesn't mean that he's the one who's in a position then to become a chayav chatat. Possibility is that he put his hand in and the Baal Bait put it into his hand. There's no akira there that's done by him. He can never end up in a chatat. So why is that a solution that the Gemara is suggesting? The Baal Yatosu would actually bring a third way to explain it. And then they Faresh Riva, they bring a Riva's explanation. The Atili Dei Chiyuv Chatat Hainu, Otoshu Pashat Yodo, Umachnisa, Omotsiya. The Baal Yatosu would explain it slightly differently. And they bring what seemingly is the same reasoning as the Rabbateinu Shorashi, but they explain that the reason that the person there is considered to be the problematic party is because they do most of what's needed to be done. They do both the movement, because their hand goes in and goes out. They do either the Hanukha or the Akira, whichever direction they're taking it, whether they're taking something in or they're pulling something out, but they are missing just a slight amount to be Chayav Chatat. Whether it's the Akira or the Hanukha that they're missing, that small amount is all that's missing from their totality of their action. And that's what the Mishnah counts. The Mishnah counts the person who's doing that 90% of the work and doesn't to speak about the outcome of the person who's doing 10% of the work. Now, whether that means that he did Akira Hanachah, that doesn't matter. It just means that he's missing just a small amount because he's the one who does the Havara, Mirishut, the Rishut. He's the one who either does the Akira, the Hanachah, and he's just missing one small piece here, either the Akira or Hanachah that's being done by the Balabait and because of that, he's considered the one who can be closest to becoming a chayav chatat, because just with a little more, he'd be chayav chatat. Whereas the balabayit, who's simply putting it into the Ani's hand or taking it out, is only doing one part of a multi-layered process, and therefore they're not the ones that the outcome of the Mishnah is discussing. So there's two different ways to explain what the conclusion of the Gemara is. And then with the way of Rabbi Tenu Rashi, you have two formulations of that, the way Rashi formulated in his Rebbeim, and the way the Balitosafot formulated, but then that will also then make a difference as to what are the cases in the Mishnah when we say Shtaim Shein Arba, what are the two extra cases in each of these instances? According to Rashi, it's always going to be the person who did the Akira, that's going to be the case in the Arba. Because according to the Balitosafot and the Rabbeinu Tenu Shorashi, it'll always be the party who initiated the Maseh, or the one who did the majority of the movement in the Malach over here. So now the Gemara continues and asks, Shnei and Peturim, how could it be that they're both Patur? Vait avida melocha mi benayu. They ended up doing a melocha jointly. So yes, there was no melocha completed by each one of them individually, but together they did a melocha, and therefore you should be chayab. Now the Bali Tosafot suggests, of course, it's not the initiator over here. The person who did the akira is not the one who would be chayab, because he didn't do or finish the melocha. The question is, the one who finished the melacha over here, he completed the melacha, he did the hanacha, then maybe he should be chayab because he completed it. It's akin to what we have in Babakama with regards to a bore that has to be a certain depth in order to be chayab for it. If one person began the digging, and then the next person completed it, and he brought it down to the depth that would be problematic, the second party is the one who's chayab because he brought it to the point where it's problematic. And so too over here, the person who did the hanacha over here, Maybe he should be chayab because he completed the process that made this into a complete malacha, and therefore he should be chayab. Now the Bali Tosaf will point out that the Gemara's question is not on our Mishnah over here, even though it says Shnehem Turim, which is seemingly a quote from our Mishnah. Nevertheless, it's not going on the Mishnah because the case in the ratio of the Mishnah, which comes before the statement of the Mishnah of Shnehem Turim, is going to be discussed on Davdalit. So we're not up to that part of the Mishnah yet for the Gemara to be asking a question from that part of the Mishnah. So it must be that this is a result of the previous statement that we made in the Gemara. That it's only counting items where you can have a tour that leads in a chatat. But there is no chatat over here. Why isn't there a chatat and both of them are considered to be patur? So it's a diok out of the statement of the Mishnah over here. The truth is that that's the reason of the Mishnah as well as to why they are turim. 
is because no one person is doing the malacha, it's two of them doing the malacha. So that's what Gemara says, Rabbi Omer, a quote from a pasuk in Vayikudal that's dealing with the chatat, and there it says, Somebody does something wrong, When they do one of the mitzvot Hashem, they're not supposed to do Vashem. And then they are guilty in Hodolav Chatoto. When they find out that they've done something wrong, they need to bring a Chatat. Now, I read according to the Pashtut, which is Mi'amaretz, someone who does something Ba'asuta. Ba'asuta is going back to the beginning of the Pasuk. So if that individual did something wrong, Ba'asuta, Hashem. When that Nefesh does one of the Mitzvot Hashem, what you're not supposed to do. But as the Baitos will point out, the Gemara is not looking at the word Ba'asuta as referencing back to Im Nefesh at the beginning of the Pasuk, but rather... Basota referencing to the Avera itself and saying that it's Basot Ota when you do it. And that's how Oset Kula below Oset Mixata. Only someone who says Oseota does the whole Avera, then they are Chayab. Yochid Basauta Chayab. If you're an individual who does it entirely by yourself, you're going to be Chayab. Shnaim Basuota. It's two individuals who do it. They share in doing the Malacha. Turim. They're going to be Potur. Now, there are going to be other instances later on in the Masechta where either two parties do it simultaneously, that's also patur, or where two parties do it simultaneously, but they're both needed to do the malacha, there they'll be chayab. Our case over here is where it's done sequentially. Each party is a participant, but there's a sequential order to it. And the question is whether the second party should be chayab. And the Gemara is saying, based on the drusha from the Pasuk, that the second party is not chayab because we're learning basot ota to mean that when he does, Mitzvah Hashem Sena. And as Tosavot says, it's a duplication of the Lashon. It already said that you did something wrong. So what does it mean in Basotota again, that you did something wrong? That duplication comes to teach me that Basota is not simply that he did something wrong, but he did Asotota. He did it all alone, and that's the lima that we have here. And therefore, you can't have a Chiyuv Chatat unless you've completed the entire Malacha, not when you did half of the Malacha. Itmar Nami, we have a support for this from what seemingly is a memra from a mora. Chabura was thrown out by the Chabura. One individual does the whole melacha, then you're chayav. If the two people do it, then you are patur. Tosafot questions over here. Why would you bring a memra from a mora to support a brayta? So there are two possible answers to that. Either when it says nizrakami piachabura, doesn't mean from amoraim, it means from tanaim. And he's bringing Tanaic proof to that which we saw before. So that's one possibility as to why it's brought over here. The other possibility is that the bright that we brought before is not one of the bright that is from the Beit Midrash of Rabbi Shaya and Rabbi Chia, which means that the efficacy of the bright is in question. And therefore, when we have a member of an Amora, that helps us to bring support to the fact that this bright is a bright with integrity to it. And therefore, we're going to rely on this bright dog because we see there are other Amoraim with a similar Misora. And the Ritva and the Rashba suggest that the reason we need the Amoraim over here is because before it was a Dat of Rabbi. And we want to make sure that there isn't a Dat Chachamim that argues on Rabbi or disagrees. And therefore, we're bringing down a Misora from the Amoraim that the Halacha is like Rabbi over here and there aren't Chachamim who disagree with him. Now, the Gemara continues and says, Baimine Rav mi Rabbi. Rav asks Rabbi, who was his Rebbe, although most of the time he learned by his uncle Rebbe Chia, who was really the Talmud Mufak of Rabbi, 
So Rav is asking this of Rabbi in the presence of his Rebbe, Rabbi Chia. Itinu chavero uchlimu mashkim. If someone else loaded up the individual with food and drinks, and as Rashi says over here, it's a lot of dafka food and drinks, it's just because they orcha de milta, something that would be normal on Shabbat to do. Vozian the chutz. And then he walks out with them on his shoulder. Mahu, what's the din here? Akirat guf kakirat chefetz mimkomodami buchayev. When you move your body, even though the object remains stationary on your body, that's considered to be an akira. And every now you have an akira, and wherever now you put it down or you stop, there's going to be a hanacha, and therefore you're going to be chayav. Or maybe that's not considered to be an akira. And again, the safek seems to be whether, since the object itself remains in place and never moves, and the akira is your body that's changing, is dynamic, but the object itself remains stationary, maybe that's not called akira and hanacha. Or another way to formulate this from the other side is that the akira and anachar are not being done on the object itself, and therefore it's not considered to be akira or anacha, since this isn't the normal way to do the malacha. The normal way to do the malacha is to move the chayfetz itself, not to have you cause the chayfetz to move. So that's the suffix of Rav that he's proposing to Rabbi. So, Amr so Rabbi responds to him, Chayav, Venu Domeliado. You are Chayav, that is considered to be Akirat Chayfetz, and it's not similar to Yad. My time, and why is there such a distinction between the hand and the body? It's because Gufo Nayich, Yadolo Nayich. As Rashi says over here, your body comes to rest, because your body is actually on terra firma. It's standing on the ground. So it can come to rest. Your hand, it doesn't rest on the ground, it's independent of the ground, and even when it's at rest, it's still connected to your body. And so according to that, what Rashi is suggesting is that the difference between the body and the hand is that the body has akiran anacha because of its interaction with the karka. The lack of interaction with the karka with the hand makes it that the hand does not have an akira and anacha. And then Rashi brings an alternate gear set, which he says is unnecessary because it's a duplication of what I just said. The Baliyatosafot disagree with Rashi and say that according to Rashi, it makes no difference where your hand is. Your hand is never considered for akira and anacha. That means if the person loaded on this food and drink onto not your shoulder, but onto your hand, and then you walked out with it, there'd be no akira and anacha according to Rashi, and you wouldn't be chayab for it. And Tosafot it says that doesn't make any sense. The Gemara over here only has a question about the status of the hand, as we're going to see in the upcoming Gemara, when it's in a different reshut from the body. But when the hand is in the same reshut as the body, it has the din of the body. And therefore they think that the other Lashon that Rashi knocked out of the Girsa is necessary, which is that Yado Batar Gufo Greira, the hand is driven by the body. Wherever the body goes, the hand is drawn along with it. Whereas the body, as its independent movement, it's able to move wherever it wants. So there's Akiran Anacha in the body because the body actually physically can move and that makes it that it can have Akiran Anacha. The hand can move independent of the body but only can extend itself to another Rishot or bring it back. Since when you extend it to another shirt or bring it back, over there, it's still tied to the body. And since it's still tied to the body, it's going to be governed by where the body is, and therefore you can't consider it to be an akiran anacha just because it's sitting in a different reshut and it's been loaded up. But if it's in the same reshut as the body, then of course it can have akiran anacha because it's just functioning as an extension of the body. So when it's an extension of the body, the hand is like the body. When the hand acts independently of the body, when it's across the line of the reshut, from one reshut to another reshut, over there, the hand doesn't gain independence because it's still tethered to the body. And that's the difference between them. So that's the way Tosavot explains it, and he disagrees with Rashi. Many of the other Rishonim, like the Ramban and the Rashbo, think that that's what Rashi meant. When Rashi said that his hand doesn't nayich, doesn't rest on the ground, that's because it's pulled by the body. And therefore, he's saying the same thing. And it's proven by the fact that Rashi thinks the Lashon that Tosavot wants in the Gemara 
is a duplication of what he said before. According to Tosva, it's not a duplication, it's a different way of expressing it and it has a nafkamina. Rashi says there's no nafkamina and therefore it means that Rashi was explaining like Tosafot anyway, just in the Lashon that he used, which was Nayach and Lo Nayach. Now, over here, there's a major machloket in the Rishonim as to what Rav's question revolved around. The Bali Tosafot over here believe, near the read, the Hachi Nami Hanacha. He asked it about Akira, and the Bali Tosafot say that it could equally be asked about Hanacha. The question is two-pronged, which is that when you move your body, is that considered to be Akira? And then the same would be true when you stop your body, would that be considered a Hanacha? And so the question is about both. Is the body's movement, independent of the Chayfetz, have a din of Akira and Hanacha? And Tosfot sees that as being a multi-pronged question of both about Akira and Hanacha. On the other hand, if you look in the Tosfot Yishanim that are found in the Od Bet and the Od Gimel, they bring from the Rashba, Perish Hanacha Pshitole. And when it comes to Hanacha, there's no question over here. Because that you could already learn from our Mishnah that a person who is stationary, and then you place an object with that individual, when they're stationary, that's considered to be Hanacha. So therefore, we see that the person has a din of Hanacha. We don't know if they have a movement of their body, it would be classified as a din of Akira. And so they believe that the question of the Gemara or Vrav over here is only with regards to Akira, whether Akirat Kufa is Akirat Chefetz. With regards to Hanacha, that's already resolved by our Mishnah. Because in the Mishnah, it doesn't say when the individual takes it out, for instance, the Ani, takes it out of the hands of the Balabite, takes it out to Rashut Rabim, doesn't say in the Mishnah he has to put it down on the ground. It's simply enough that he has it in his hand, and that's considered to be Hanacha. So you see that Hanacha is a given that you could do that with your body or with your hand, and that's why the question is only about Akira. As the Bali Tosafot over here say, that's not true. In the case of the Mishnah, it's actually a case where he had put it on the ground, and since it could be a case that he put it on the ground, you can't prove anything from the Mishnah. And in Ochanami, if you look in the Lashon of Rashi in the Mishnah, he actually says that, for instance, Rashi actually says that he puts it down in Rishut Rabim. That would be in concert with Rashi's explanation over here, at least according to the way the Bayat Tosafot read it, that Rashi believes that your hand is never independent of your body, and therefore, when you stick your hand out into one Rishut and bring it back into this Rishut, you haven't done Hanacha. You need to put it down on the ground in order for there to be Hanacha, because the hand never goes on the ground. Because according to the Bali Tosafot, once you bring it back to the position where it's in the same position as the body, then it functions like the body itself, and it would be a Hanacha. Just like the body's Hanacha, so too the hand will be Hanacha, and you wouldn't have to put it on the ground. Now, the Bali Tosafot believe that you still can't prove anything from the Mishnah, either because, like Rabbi Kiv Eger, the Mishnah is talking about your hand and not your body, but even according to the Bali Tosafot say, now that the hand and the body are the same, nevertheless... How do you know that in the Mishnah he didn't put it down on the ground? And since maybe he put it down on the ground, you can't prove anything for the Mishnah. And that's why Rav is querying of Rabbi, both Akira and Anachah, both the body, what is the din, and not just asking about Akira, like the Rashba says in the Tosfot Yishanim. So, Amr so Rabbi responds to him, Chayav, Venu Domel You are Chayav, that is considered to be Akirat Chayfetz, and it's not similar to Yad, according to the Rashba in the Tosfot Yishanim, and according to the Bali Tosfot, it's considered to be Akira and Anacha. So, Amr Lei, Rabbi Chia, the Rav, so Rabbi Chia, Rav's uncle, says to him, Bar Pachte, you son of Gidolim, Gidolim means his father and mother, who happened to be the brother and sister of Rabbi Chia, saying, you son of Gdolim, lo amina locha, didn't I already tell you, kikai rabbi baha mesechto, lo tishayli b'masechta achrite, when Rabbi's learning one mesechto, don't ask him questions from another mesechta, diva labadate, because maybe he isn't engrossed in the sugya, and he's not going to give you the right answer, di lab, the rabbi gavarabohu, kisafte, had it not been the fact that Rabbi is a big godol, you might have embarrassed him, the mishani locha shnuye, because he's going to give you an answer, that's not the right answer because he's not involved in the sugya. 
Rabbi has the capacity to be in millions of places at once, give you a psak and Shabbat, even though he's learning something else. But anybody else you do that to would be very problematic, and they might give you the wrong answer. Hashtag. But because it was Rebbe, Miat Shapir Mishani Lucha, he did give you the right answer, and I can prove that to you, Tanya, because we have a Braita, if he was already loaded up with food and drink before the sunset, before it was Shabbat, and then he walks with them from Rishuta Yachid to Rishuta Rabim, Misha Cheshecha, after it's dark, Chayab. At that point he is Chayab, because it's different than his hand. So you see here this distinction that Akirat Kufo is considered to be Akirat Aguf, because obviously loading him up, Mibaudyom, is not meaningful. And so that can't be the Akira that we're speaking about, as the Bai Tosvo point out. Had you loaded him up after dark, then you wouldn't have known what the reason there's an Akira here. You want to know if the Akira came because of the fact that he loaded onto his body, or because he walked. And therefore you wouldn't know what the answer is. And as Tosvo points out, it has to be a case where he is not continuously moving from Yibod Yom. He has to stop for a second to generate on Shabbat the Akira. And then stop afterwards in the Rishut Ravim to generate the Anacha. And he says the reason, again, that it has to be Bibod Yom is that if it happened, Mishach HaSheicha, if it happened after dark already, then the Akira could be the original Akira where they place the items on the body of the individual because according to the Bali Tosafot, Akira and Hanacha are play here. So if you place it on his body and then he stops somewhere along the way and then he continues, that stopping makes no difference because Hanacha could be no good Hanacha. And the original Akira is what caused the Akira. And then when you stop in Rishut Rabim and the objects are then stationary in Rishut Rabim, that's what makes you Chayav. And so therefore, the Akirat Chayfetz was from the original placement. And the Hanacha is because you now ended up, or the object is now in Rishut Rabim. And even though you stopped in the middle, we won't know that's the reason that your Chayav is because of the fact that it was an Akirat Guf, because it might be from the original Akira if that's the case. So that's why the case is specifically in Yom, where it can't be that the original Akira is the Akira. And then when you stop on Shabbat, it's clear now that the only reason you're chayav is because you've now wiped out the original Akira, and you started a new Akira on Shabbat by stopping and then moving. And that's Akirat Guf, and that's a proof to the fact that Akirat Gufo and Anachat Gufo are meaningful on Shabbat. So the case in the Bright, that's specifically a case in Mibol Jom, to tell you that whatever was done before Shabbat, where it was placed on the body, that's clearly not Akira, because that's an Akira that's done before Shabbat. So the only thing that could have been the Akira here is when he moves his body, after Shabbat has come in, that is what generates the Akira. And you see from here that there's an Akira. It's classified as an Akira when he moves his body. Number two is when he stops, that's considered to be an Anacha. According to the Bali Tosafot, that was also in the question. And so now you know that the Anacha and the Akira are being generated by the body. And you also see from the Brayta that that's distinct from the hand. And that the hand has a different din than the body. And therefore, our Mishnah has cases where the hand's moving back and forth, and they're not chayav achatat. Whereas when you move your body from one rishut to another rishut, you are going to be chayav. So I'm Rabbi, Pshitali Yadoshal Adam, Eina Loki Rishut Rabim, Veloki Rishut Yachid. It's clear to me that the hand of an individual doesn't have a din like Rishut Rabim, and does not have a din of a Rishut Yachid. Here, so that we have in the Gemara here, it's like Rashi, Rishut Rabim Lo Damyo. How do I know it's not like a Rishut Rabim? Miyado Dani, from the hand of the Ani. Because when the Ani extends his hand inside, and then the Baalabai takes it out of the hands of the Ani, we don't classify it as if he took it out of Rishut Rabim, and he's Chayav. We say over there that the Shnehem Turim, Avalas Turim. So it's clear there that the hand of the Ani does not have a status of a Rishut Harabim. And vice versa, Rishut Yachid Lo Damiya. I know it's not like a Rishut Yachid, Miyado the Baalabai. When the Baal Bait extends his hand outward with the object, and then the Ani takes it out of there, 
He's also not chayav because he didn't take it from Rishut Yachid and then put in Rishut Rabim. So it's clear that the hand of the individual is not considered to be not a Rishut Yachid and not a Rishut Rabim. That's the Lashon of Rashi. And the Ramban's bothered by Rashi's explanation because how can you ever think that the hand of the Ani inside of the Rishut Yachid is going to be classified as a Rishut Rabim? Where do you have a Rishut Rabim that has Mechitzot around it that's going to be classified as being a Rishut Ha-Rabim. So he says that can't be the explanation, and he favors the girsa of the Rabbeinu Hananel that has it actually reversed. It's not like the Rishut Rabim, Miyado the Balabayit, from the hand of the Balabayit. Suppose Rashi thinks that the hand has the din of the properties where it came from. The Ramban says that the point that Abayi is making is that the hand doesn't have the properties of where it's found currently. Kirshut Rabim it's not like, because we know from the hand of the Balabayit. Because if we would say that the hand of the Balabayit is like Rishut Rabim, then you wouldn't get the Aloch of the Mishnah that's named Turim. Because the Balabayit then went from Rishut Yachid, took the object down into the Shudra Abim. If his hand converts into a Shudra Abim, then he's moved from a Shudra Yachid to a Shudra Abim, and he'd be Chayav HaChatat. The fact that we don't say that, and we say Shneem Turim, shows you that when his hand extends into the Shudra Abim, it is not classified as Shudra Abim. And vice versa, the Ani, when he extends his hand inward with the object, we don't say then he moved it from a Shudra Abim to a Shudra Yachid, and he's Chayav. We consider it as if they are Shnehem Turim. The only he did was the Akira, and the Balabayit did the Hanacha. And that's because we don't consider it when he moves his hand into Rishut Yachid as if it converted into a Rishut Yachid. That's the view of the Ramban as to what the proof is from our Mishnah. But either way, the point is that the hand of the individual, according to Rashi, is not like the place that it originated from. And it's when the body's in Rishut Rabim, the hand is not a Rishut Rabim. Or, according to the Ramban, the hand is not like the area where it's in right now, even though that's a different area than the body of the individual. But by Abaye, so Abaye says, now that I've established that, I still have a question. Does the individual's hand have a status like a Karmelit? So it's not a Rishut Yachid, it's not a Rishut Rabim. And Tosavot says over here that the question of the Gemara relates to a question when you cross with your hand from one Rishut to another Rishut. And obviously you didn't do Anachan, the new Rishut. But if everything was done in the other Rishut, for instance, if you're standing Rishut Yachid and your hand is in Rishut Rabim and you pick something up and move it in Rishut Rabim to another location Rishut Rabim, as long as it's not more than four Amot, that would not be problematic. The question of the Gemara here is when you cross over the line of Rishut, What's the din of your hand? Does it then convert into a karmalit at that point in time and then create all these problems for you? Or does it retain its original status and therefore you can retract it? But if it was always in one reshut, then the question never arises. Then it's always like the reshut that it's in. If it's in reshut abim, anything you're moving reshut abim is moving within reshut abim. And if it's in reshut yachid and you're moving from one location to the other, it's all considered as if it's in reshut yachid. It's only when you cross over the boundary between reshut yachid and reshut abim does this question arise. This goes to a Gemara that we're going to get to on Davav, that there are actually four Rishuyot on Shabbat. Shudah Yechid is a private domain. Shudah Rabim is a public domain. Those are areas Midoraita, and they're the only things recognized Midoraita. There are places that are called a Makom Tour. Those are areas that are not Rishut Yechid, not Rishut Rabim, and they are classified as Makom Tour, for example, above 10 Tvachim in Rishut Rabim. There is then an institution, the Rabbanan, called the Carmelite, which is a Rishut Yechid that looks like a Rishut Rabim. It's a private domain, but it's a private domain that has character traits like a Rishut Rabim, and those areas are called a Carmelite. And a Carmelite has an Isud Rabbanan. That means you can't take from a Rishut Yachid to a Carmelite, not from a Carmelite to a Rishut Yachid, nor can you take from a Rishut Rabim to a Carmelite or from a Carmelite to a Rishut Rabim. So that's what he wants to know now, 
the hand, does it have a din of a Carmelite? That is whether according to Rashi Lashon that we don't say the hand follows the body, or according to the Ramban who says that the hand doesn't follow the location it's in, so it doesn't adapt to that location. According to Rashi, it doesn't have the status of the individual that it's tied to, but maybe it has an Isu de Rabbanan that is associated with it, and that has an Afkamina at the following. The Rabbanan then put a, the way Rashi has the gear says, a Knas in place, that once you've extended your hand, for instance, from the Rishut Rabim into the Rishut HaYachid with the object, are you then allowed to retract whatever you did? So if it is not considered to be a Rishut Rabim or Rishut HaYachid, then there's no problem for you to take it back, because it's a Makom Tur, you didn't do anything. You took it from the Rishut HaYachid into Rishut Rabim in your hand, and it remains in your hand, now you just take your hand back, there's no problem. If you classify the hand as a Karmelit, once it's gone through this violation of moving it from the Rishut HaYachid to Rishut HaYachid, and now it's classified as a Carmelite. Or a Carmelite, you're not allowed to move it back to the Shuter Abim. You can't put it into the Shuter Yechid either. That means you're going to be stuck with the object in your hand for the remainder of Shabbat. So Rashi claims that it is considered to be a Knas. Tosavo doesn't love the Lashon of Knas over here, but rather it's an Isur. And therefore he thinks the Isur should be Isur Carmelite over here, not a Knas. Tosavo heavily favors that because we're going to see later in the Gemara that that would then make it restricted even if you put it out before Shabbat. If it's considered to be like a Carmelite, it's not a Knas for violating some Isur. If it's a Knas for violating some Isur, it'll only be applicable on Shabbat when you violate the Isur. But according to the way the Bali Tosfot are learning, that if you make it or deem it to be a Carmelite, then even if you did it before Shabbat started, once Shabbat comes in, your hand's deemed to be a Carmelite, and you wouldn't be able to bring it back. And we're going to see from the Gemara further on, that that seems to be what the Gemara thinks, that even if it's Mibod Yom, it's problematic, unless it's a Knas. So over here it implies that it's not a Knas. And so the Gemara tries to resolve this and says, Tashma, Aitayadom lea peirot, alochutz. person has a hand full of peirot, and he puts it from the Rishut HaYachid out to the Rishut HaRabim. He never puts it down in the Rishut HaRabim, he just holds it out there. Tani Chada Surlak Zira, we have one bright that says he can't retract it. Tani Dach Mutalak Zira, we have another bright that says that he can retract it. My love, Bahaika Miflige. Maybe the bright are arguing exactly with what we are discussing here. Marsavar Kikarmelit Damyo, that one bright that believes it's like a Carmelite, and that's why you cannot retract it. Umar Savalav Kikarmelit Damyo, and that's why you can retract it. So that would be the explanation over here between the two outcomes of the bright are dependent on whether you think there's a Isur de Rabbanon or a Knas, according to Rashi, for it to be classified as a Carmelite. It says, no, to Kuliyama ke Carmelite Damyo. Everybody agrees that it's a Carmelite. Lokasha, kan lamatame asara, kan lamalami asara. Depends where you are in the Rishut Rabim. As we discussed before, a Rishut Rabim only exists from 10th Fachim and lower, does it have a din of Rishut Rabim. Above that 10th Fachim, it's called a Makom Tur, it's not classified as Rishut Rabim. Therefore, if you extended it below 10th Fachim out, you did an Isra on Shabbat. At least in Isra Midra Rabbanan. Move something from Rishut Yachid to Rishut Rabim. You never put it down there, so there's no Isra Doraita. But you have an Isra Rabbanan. And now we're going to penalize you and say, don't bring it back. Because you have a Carmelite out in the Rishut Rabim, And now you can't move it from that Carmelite back to Rishut Yachid or into the Rishut Rabim. But then, if it's above 10th Vachim, that's not Rishut Rabim. That's a Makom Tur. So when you extended it out, you didn't do anything wrong in the first place. And therefore, whatever it is there, you can retract at this point in time. So since you didn't do it any sore, therefore we're not going to be konis you, deem it like a Carmelite. Whereas the Balitos would say, your hand won't have the classification of the Isu Banan that it is a Carmelite. Tosvet has a little bit of a chiddush here, which he says that, well, isn't it mutalachatchilo to extend it out above 10th Fachim into the Shutar Abim? So then why is there even a question about taking it back? So he makes a claim that if you extended it below 10th Fachim, and then you raised it above 10th Fachim and then brought it back, 
that's the, what the Brayta says is mutar. And the bread that says that sore is when you want to retract it still below 10 Tvachim. So the Gemara says, They're both cases of bright where you extended your hand from Rishut Yachid into Rishut Rabim below 10 Tvachim, so it's in Rishut Rabim. And it doesn't have a din of Karmelit. So then what's the issue? Depends if you extended it during the daytime, which means that you did it when it wasn't a sore, and that's why you can retract it later on. The other cases where you extended it afterwards, dark rain is already Shabbat, and therefore you can't retract it, because, since you didn't do an Isur, the Rabbanon didn't impose a Kanas on you. Once it is dark, the Rabbanon penalized you. And this is the Bali Tosafot's proof that until this point in time, you couldn't be speaking about a Kanas. Because over here, the Gemara first introduces this distinction between and which means the difference between whether you did an Isur or you didn't do an Isur. Implying until this point in the Gemara, there was no discussion as to whether you did or didn't do an Easter. It's just a question of where your hand is found at that time. So that can't be a kanas because you didn't do anything wrong if you did it in Bojom. It must be that it's a din of an Easter Rabbanon of Carmelite. And that's what drives the position of the Balieto Safot that says that it, what was said before was not a kanas, but rather an Easter Rabbanon. And that's also reinforced by the fact that the Gemara over here says that the lav Carmelite damyo. That it's not like a Carmelite, implying that if it was like a Carmelite, you couldn't make the distinction between Mibel Jom and Chashecha, which means that the Isur would have existed even Mibel Jom. And again, a Knas only applies when you do something wrong and then we're penalizing you. So it must be that this din of Carmelite that we spoke about before was not a Knas, but rather an Isur Midrabanan. When it says, wait a minute, Adarabo, Ibchomistavro, just the opposite makes sense. Mibel Jom, if he extended his hand, Mibel Jom, if he drops it, meaning that now you're forcing him to stay with his hand extended throughout the Shabbat, because you're not allowed to do anything with it. It's now a knas, the Rabbonon. Now knas Rabbonon says you have to maintain that standing where your hand is, and you can't move it at all. So now, if he extended it, where he didn't do an Akira on Shabbat, then if I make a knas that he has to stay with that, the worst that can happen is that he drops it in the Rishut Rabim at this point. If he drops it in the Rishut Rabim, then lo Then you won't have a chatat because you only did an Achan Shabbat, not an Akiran Shabbat. That's only an Isu the Rabbonon. And therefore, the Rabbonon will be him because if he fails to live up to the knas of the Rabbonon, which means to stay with his hand for the remainder of Shabbat like this, then he'll only violate an Isu the Rabbonon. If he put it out after dark, where he did the Akiran Shabbat, now you're telling him he can't bring it back, and he's got to stay the remainder of Shabbat with his hand extended there with the object on it. If he can't maintain that stand, and he drops the object now in Rishut Rabim, then he's going to actually be chayav a chatat. Then the Rabbanon should make a knas in that case. So they're saying that the logic should dictate the opposite. The logic that we were using is, well, if you violate an Isur, there's a knas. So that's mecha sheikha. If you don't violate an Isur, then there should be no knas, and that's mibol yom. They're saying just the opposite. Mibol yom, since you can never reach a chatat, then you can impose a knas, because your knas will not result in a chatat coming because of your knas. Whereas if you did it, mechashecha, then if you put a knas in place, and you cause this person then to drop the item in Rishut Rabim because of your knas, you're actually causing them to violate an isur deoraita, and therefore we wouldn't want to put the knas in place. And since we did not learn that way, which means 
That's a logic that does not dictate. We don't worry about the fact that you might violate the Nisudoraita when we put a Knas in place. Then Tifshot Rabibi Barabaye. We should be able to answer now the question that was posed by Rabibi Barabaye. Tomorrow's daf will have a gufa and discuss the case much more in detail. So we'll leave that for tomorrow in terms of the mechanics and the logic ramifications of the case. Right now we'll just deal with it within the context of the question that's asked here, which is the Bay Rabibi Barabaye hit big pot bitanor, person who plasters dough on the inside of the oven to bake it. Now that he put the bread in there on Shabbat, it's going to bake. And if the baking process completes, then he's going to be for baking on Shabbat. So now the what he can do is scrape the dough off the walls of the oven before it bakes. And he'll save himself from then from being chayav chatat. Now, ridiata pat, which means scraping the dough off the walls of the oven, the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah says that he chuchma veino melacha. That is a skill, but it's not a malocha. Which means, midoraita, it's not problematic. Midorabanan, there's an Easter to be rodeh pat on Shabbat. So the question is, can he violate an Isudorabanan to protect himself from being over a dindoraita? Right now, if he leaves it in the oven, it's going to be chayab midoraita for afiyah. If he scrapes it off and stops the baking process, then he won't be chayab midoraita. So now you're telling me that when we institute Dine Drabanan like a knas, we're willing to put that knas in place, even it risks you being over a dindo raita. And since you didn't answer that when it's a dindo raita, we're not going to get involved with the knas and protect the individual from possibly buying a doraita, that shows you that we're willing to put a knas in place that might cause you to violate the dindo raita. And similarly over here. When it comes to this Isidra Banan of not scraping the, the dough off the walls of the oven, we're going to say that we're upholding that Dindra Banan in the face of a possible violation of Doraita. If it continues to bake, you're going to be in violation of Doraita. We have the answer to the question now. Yes, you have to abide by the Dindra Banan. And yes, it'll continue to bake and you're going to be Chayab Doraita because the Rabbanan upheld their positions even in the face of risks Doraita. So according to this, if you scrape it off, it would be a violation of the Rabbanon. We say, don't do it, even though it will result in Doraita. Just like in our case, we say there's a knas, that when you extend your hand out after dark, you have to keep your hand there the whole Shabbat, even though maybe if you release it, it's going to fall under Shut Rabbim, you're going to be violating a din Doraita. So we're going to uphold the knas the Rabbanon, even in the face of a Doraita, and that teaches us what the answer should be in this case. So you can see from our case over here, that that's what should be the result of Bibi Barabaye's question, that they didn't allow you to scrape it off, to violate a dindra bonon, even though it risks a dindoraita. Where it says, alokasha, that's not a problem. Vitifshot, okay. Then our solution to the bright over here will result in a answer to Bibi Barabai's question. And you're right, in Okanami, the answer is that you're not allowed to scrape it off. Where it says, No, maybe you can say that it's not coming to resolve the problem. The lokasha, and still there's no problem in the steer between the bright Depends on the violation that he had here. When he extended his hand, did he do it intentionally or did he do it unintentionally? In Shogeg, the Rabbanan didn't put a knas on him and therefore he can retract his hand. That's why it's mutalak zira according to that b'raita. By mezid, the Rabbanan did put a knas in place. And since they put the knas in place, you're not allowed to retract your hand because you did it intentionally when you extended it out and you violated an isur de Rabbanan. And as Rashi points out over here, now you can't conclude anything about Rabbibi Barabaye. That is because the reason they were not Konesim Bishogay is not because they were worried about him throwing it down. 
but because he didn't do any Isur. And so therefore, over there by Rediyat Pat, even though it's also Bishogeg, you can't prove anything from here, because over here, the Shogeg, to retract your hand, is not an Isur. Because it's only because of the Kanas that it is an Isur. He didn't do any Isur B'Mezid. And number two is, the retraction's not an Isur if it were not for the Kanas. That's maybe over here why there's no Kanas. On the other hand, by the Rediyat Pat, where he did it Bishogeg, so yeah, there is no Isur B'Mezid. But over there, in order to stop the process of baking, you would have to do a real Isur de Rabbanan, Maybe over there we would be Konesio and say you can't violate a real Isu Rabbanan to stop yourself from an Isu Doraita. Over here, we're not Gozer because over here there's no real Isu Rabbanan to retract your hand. And since there's no real Isu Rabbanan, we're not going to put a Knas in place. And in the case of Mezid, there's a difference between the case of Mezid, where you did an Isur bin Mezid, and therefore maybe that's why there's a Knas. Over there, there's no certainty that he's going to come into a Chiv Mita Peitim or put the Knas in place because he just doesn't have to drop it. And then he won't have a Chiv Chadat. On the other hand, by the case of the baking the bread, if he did it b'mezid, and we don't allow him to do the ridiyat pot and take it out, he for sure is going to be chayav mitad beitin. And therefore you can't extrapolate that just because you have a kanas by the case of extending your hand, that you should also have a kanas by the case of Rabbi Barabaye. Therefore, according to Rashi, you can't conclude anything about Rabbi Barabaye's case anymore based on this layout of the Gemara. Now the Bali Tosaf would say, well, based on that, we're now explaining the oat or the steer between the oat in a different way. But nevertheless, the logic that the Gemara dictated before, that you didn't say that it's a problem to have a kanas on Shabbat, even though that result in a dindo raita, and therefore you could still answer the question of bibi barabayi. And therefore the Ba'i Tosa want to take out of the gears over here, that it is ibayitema lo tifshot. Take that out, and just say ibayitema is another answer for the steer and the braito, but we'd still have an answer to Rabbi Barabai's question. Then I hand the Tosafot quote from the Rashba and say, no, you should keep that in the girsa, and it's Olam Lotif Shot. Because he says that that Zvara that the Gemara introduced was a backward Zvara. It is not something that really is so logical to say that if a person does something where there's no Easter, Mibojom, that you should put a Kanas on him. And then when he does it at night, when there is a problem, then you don't put a Kanas on him. He says that's like a Chucha Vitzlula. It's like a joke. It makes the whole Gzera look silly. Because the person doesn't do an Isur is now penalized. The person doesn't Isur is freed. And so he says it doesn't make sense. And the Gemara here, when it says Lotif Shod, is rejecting that whole logic in total because it's just not logical. Ipcha Mistavra is not really Mistavra. And therefore that's why it says here, Lolam Lotif Shod. Don't look at that as an answer to our question over here because it really isn't an answer to the question because you can't be Medayik anything from the fact that the Gemara didn't set it up in that manner because setting up in that manner is illogical. And where it says, Both are instances where he did it unintentionally on Shabbat. And the brighter to argue about whether, of course, in the case of Mezid, we would be Konesim not to retract it. A brighter different in their opinion as to whether we impose that on an unintentional case as well. All to a case of intent. And therefore, even by Shugay, we will penalize him and tell him he can't bring it back. All to the case where he does it intentionally. The other brother says, if he does it by Shugay, we'll let him retract it because he didn't do it by Mezid. And that's what the difference will be, which is Marsavar Kansu Shugay Altu Mezid. And that's why you can't retract it. Marsavar Lo Kansu Shugay Altu Mezid. And that's why you can retract it. In cases here where they neither brighter believes that they were Kones Shugay Altu Mezid. Velokasha. Depends where he wants to put the object. If he wants to bring the object back from where he took it out, then that's not a problem because then he never accomplishes what his intent was. His intent was to move the object from the chatzir was in to something else. And since he doesn't accomplish that, we allow him to retract it, and that's where the brightest says it's mutar to retract. On the other hand, if he wants to accomplish what he originally intended for, which is now that's out there, 
And now he wants to throw it into another Rishut HaYachid. Instead of retracting to the Rishut HaYachid, he brought it from. That we're not going to let him do. And that's where there's the bright that says it's Asur. That's the question Rav asked his Rebbe, Rav Nachman. The person had his hand full of perot, and he stuck it out. Can he take it back to the place that he took it out from? And he's in Rishut HaYachid. He extends it into the Rishut HaRabim and keeps it in his hand. Can he retract it now? Amalei Mutar. He says it's totally fine to retract it. The Chatzera Cheret. Mau. Can he put it into a different Chatzera? Amalei Asur. He says you're not allowed to do that. And Rav asks his Rebbe, Rav Nachman, Maishna. What's the difference between the Chatzera that he came from and the other Chatzera? So Rav Nachman says back to him, Lechi Techo Allah Kura Demilcha. Rashi says either he said jokingly, once you measure out for me a core worth of salt, I'll give you the answer. Or Rashi says it was more serious. He says you can have a core worth of salt, and you can eat a core worth of salt, you still will not be able to reconcile between this chatzer and chatzer acheret. They're different, and they're fundamentally different, and that's because, here, when he retracts it back to the original chatzer, he accomplishes nothing of what he intended for, and that's why we don't need to penalize him or stop him from doing it. In the case where it goes to a chatzer acheret, then he accomplished what he wanted all along, and therefore we're aiding and abetting him, even though he did an Easter the Rabbanan, we're still now allowing him to complete whatever he intended to do, and that we don't want to do. And the Tosva claims that it has to be a case where there's a Rishut Rabin between two areas of Rishut Yachid, because that's a case where there's no Easter Doraita to pass it from one Rishut Yachid to the other Rishut Yachid, even though there's a Rishut Rabin intervening. Then if it's on the same line, as there are two Rishut Yachids that are adjacent to each other, and you pass it out to Rishut Rabin to the other Rishut Yachid, that is problematic, as we'll see later on in the Masechta, because that was found in the Mishkan, and therefore passing it from one Rishut Yachid to another Rishut Yachid, where it's not across the street, but on the same side of the street, where you pass over the Rishut Rabim, that would be problematic, and therefore it would be easy for Rabba to understand why there would be a difference between Chatzar Acheret and the original Chatzar. So he says it's got to be a, either got to be a case where they're next to each other, but there's no Rishut Rabim intervening, or it's got to be a case where it's across the street with the Rishut Rabim intervening, in those cases where there's only an Isidra Banan involved, not an Isidoraita, he wants to understand what's the difference between retracting it to the original Rishut Yachid or pushing it into the other Rishut Yachid on the other side or adjacent, not to the Rishut Rabim, because both cases, technically there's an Isidra Banan to move it either from the Rishut Rabim back into the Rishut Yachid or from the Rishut Rabim to the other Rishut Yachid. So why is it that we allow it in one instance, not the other instance? And that's what Rav Nachman answers is a difference because one case, he's not accomplishing what he intended and that's a penalty in of itself. The other case, we're allowing him to accomplish what he wanted in the first place, and therefore, there's no real penalty for doing something wrong. Okay, we're going to stop here by the two dots on the top of Dalai Ramadan.